Hey, what's up, guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor. Today, we are going to be doing another sermon review. Today, we are going to be looking at a requested uh, sermon review of Mike Todd. It wasn't uh, this specific sermon that was requested to do a sermon review on. It is just that a Mike Todd sermon. So we are going to do one that he gave at the Hope and Life Conference in 2019 at Lakewood Church. Uh, and it was uploaded on August 1st, 2019. If you're looking for it, the link will be in the description below. If you want to listen to it without my commentary, which totally understand that this particular sermon at this point has over a million views. So I think this is a good sampling of a Mike Todd sermon that a lot of people have seen that doesn't fall within a sermon series that he would do at Transformation Church, the church at which he is a pastor of. Uh, so I wanted to give this one uh, a sermon review. Uh, just full disclosure, I've already watched it uh, once. And so I had a general idea of what was going on uh, in this sermon. It's 47 minutes long. I'm going to play this so that we're consistent. Uh, this will be at uh, playback speed at 1.5, like all the other sermon reviews that we've done. Uh, and so that we don't waste a ton of time and we can get right into it. Just so you know, this sermon review is not a uh, an attack on Mike Todd. That is not the purpose of this sermon review. Now we are reviewing a Mike Todd sermon. So we're looking at Mike Todd in this particular sermon and saying, okay, what do we see that's good? What do we see that's bad? What can we more importantly learn from this? Uh, about about speaking, preaching, but more importantly, exegetical work, is that being done well? Because here's the thing, this is being presented as a sermon uh, given to a group of uh, presumably, I mean, you can see on the screen here, probably believers, unbelievers. Uh, and so does this hold up to what a sermon should be as we see, you know, uh, within scripture? Is it is are we looking at the word? Are we dividing the word rightly? Uh, are we pulling thing? You know, are we are we looking at the whole thing? Are we pulling things out of context? Are we leaving them in context? Uh, all of these things are vitally important when a sermon is being given and when we're listening to it. So, as in case this is your first one, but as I've done in the other sermon reviews, let me tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to play this sermon. I'm going to start and stop it as needed, as I see kind of red flags pop up or things that I think that are really really good uh, that that should also be you know applauded because they are good. So, let's. Get into it. Lakewood, young adults, are y'all ready tonight? Let me try it one more time. Lakewood, young adults, are y'all ready tonight? Hey, listen. So I'm in H-Town. Now, this is only the second time I've been in Houston. And both times have been to Lakewood Church. So, so tonight, I'm home. Now, some of y'all don't know what that means. But I'm about to be me tonight. And we're about to see God's glory meet us in this place right now. So if you have an expectation, let's give God a shout of praise before anything happens. Come on, let's give him the glory that he's worthy of. Hey, how about three people and say, tonight is for me. Come on, just find three people. Tell them tonight is for me. I'm glad you came. But tonight. Okay, real quick, want to stop. So an important thing to note in these sermon reviews is this. Um, there's going to be things that we look at that we say, you know, exegetically, this is bad. It wasn't actually, uh, this isn't within context, or we're going to say that some things are doctrinally uh, a little iffy here, maybe worded a little weird sometimes uh, that are, that call into question, like, okay, where are we at? What are we doing with this? What is he saying? Uh, and then there's going to be methodology, 
right? There's going to be methodological things that happen that we say, hey, this isn't how I would do it. This isn't my method of doing it. This isn't my preferred method of doing things. But we can't really dock those because those are things that are uh, in, in, in large part uh, just methodology differences. So this is one of those things like, yeah, hey, give your neighbor a high five. Like I wouldn't do that. I get why he is doing that. He's trying to get everybody hyped up. This is a conference. He's trying to get them excited, engaged. Uh, I wouldn't do that. That's not my preferred method of, of, you know, getting involved within a sermon, getting ready for a sermon. But we, again, I just want to make that clear distinction. So you kind of see here as we go into this sermon, what we're looking at, uh, we're not going to be looking at things like this methodology uh, in large part. Now, I will uh, point out a few things that are, uh, I think, good, actually, um, uses of like a different methodology. Um, but by and large, we're not going to stop and look at those things because they're not uh, hugely important to to like the core of what we're looking at, which is to uh, learn from this sermon about exegetical work and see the goods and the bads and all that sort of thing. So let's get back into it. Tonight is for me. You can take your seats. Man, I am so excited to be here tonight. And y'all came on out tonight and... Uh, I feel like something special is going to happen because people came in here with expectation. Um, before I get started with anything, um, I got to say um, to the leaders of this movement here at the Young Adults Ministry, Pastor Nick and Summer, I, I want to thank you for your leadership, for your friendship. Nobody does anything for nine years unless God's told them that there was something in it. And there's, you've seen thousands of people come to Christ to take further steps, and it's because of the stuff nobody else sees. It's the stuff you do behind closed doors. So can we thank God for the leaders of this Young Adult Ministry? Can we? Oh, y'all can do better than that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I can't stand on this platform without giving a shout out to, I call him Uncle Joel now. But Pastor Joel and Victoria have blazed trails in the world. And I want to thank God. Can we thank God for the leaders of this? Okay, so here's a, an important thing that I think is worth noting that I, that does send up a red flag. So anywhere, um, especially a conference that you go to, you're going to see this, or if somebody guest speaks at a larger church, you'll see this as well. They'll give, you know, accolades or applause or thanks to the people that, you know, invited them or lead the ministries. Now, in by and large, that's a whatever thing, right? That's a methodology thing in my, in my view, like I'm not going to get up and praise some pastor, uh, about, you know, how amazing they are. I mean, it's going to be usually, Hey, you know, God is doing amazing things through this church, through your leaders, pray for them, be there for them. Those are things that I've said before. Um, now, with that being said, when you do that, you, whoever that person is that's speaking or the you, you viewing whoever's speaking, right? Um, they are putting their weight behind whoever they're saying that to as well, right? So in this regard, and this is important because, you know, if we're identifying biblical preachers, gospel preachers, those that stand up for the gospel, um, who you align yourself with is important. Um, it does give credence and credibility to these people if you're also if you're backing them, especially if you, you know, you're well known yourself. So the fact here that Mike Todd says, "Hey, Joel Steen, he's like my uncle, right? He's he's family. He's somebody that I look up to." Um, that that says a lot. Now we don't have time to go into Joel Olstein, or we might do a Joel Olstein review at some point, one of his sermons. Um, but automatically that sends up a red flag to me that I'm a little concerned 
that that's how Mike Todd views Joel Osteen. Now I get that he's at his church, so he has to say good things about him. Uh, well, he doesn't have to, but he does like, that's what he's doing. Um, so that's a, that's like a red flag. Number one is that automatically off the bat, we're going, Hey, Joel Osteen, that's the man. When I think the majority of Christianity knows that like, when's the last time Joel Osteen actually preached the gospel? Y'all can do better than that. We love you. All right. I hope you came to do some aerobics tonight. Because God changed my message on the plane. And you know, I like to be planned and I like everything to be real coordinated. But when God like interrupts my nap on the plane, <laughs> that means he, he wants to speak something specifically to somebody who came in here tonight. And, and so I'm going to try... In the next, how much time do I got? What I got, okay? What? It's Friday night in Houston. All right. If you got to go, peace. But we, we're going to be here for the next few minutes because I want to get something to you. Anytime I close out a conference, I've been to a lot of conferences, but, but I know that what happens is everybody gets hyped and then they don't know how to apply the conference tomorrow. Like, like many of you have had an encounter with God, God's shown you something, or, or you feel peace in another way because the whole conference is talking about peace being power. But I like to get these big concepts and make them real practical. Because I've been to too many things where I felt goosebumps, but I didn't change. So this is a methodology thing for Mike Todd. And this is something that I will say, uh, probably I would fit it in the positive category. Mike Todd is known for being very relatable. Okay. I mean, that's kind of his, his stick is the fact that like people will view a Mike Todd sermon, maybe even like the, all the people that were there and never heard about him before. And then they get, they hear him speak and they go, wow, that was really understandable. That was relatable. Like that connected, like that's kind of his thing. That's why people really like him. I think everybody I've talked to, that's the thing. They're like, oh no, he, he communicated this in such an understandable way. Uh, and that's kind of why people like him. So him saying this, like that is kind of his thing. Uh, and to agree with that, uh, in, in a way, like when you listen to him, you don't get bored right? You, you just don't. It's not like you wander off into thought because he's saying something so monotone. Like he knows how to engage a crowd. Um, so with that being said, if like you're looking for like how to engage an audience, Mike Todd is somebody that I would definitely recommend um, like learning from as far as his, his, his speaking patterns, where he inflects, where he doesn't. Um, he's, he's got that down. And so today, I'm going to be real, real. I'm going to come to your house. I might get in your living room. Don't kick me out because I'm trying to help you. T -t today, I, I want to kind of rehearse some of the things you've already heard if you've been here. But I want to push it into the practical today. And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to show you how to live this thing out when we talk about peace. How many people in this room could use some more peace in your life? Okay. Girl over there was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I could use a lot more peace. <laughs> okay. Did you? Now, here's a red flag for me. Now, it might have flown right by you. But Michael Todd uses the Lord's name in like a disrespectful passing manner, even though he's putting words into the mouth of whatever, you know, audience members there to again, engage the audience, the pastor on the platform that's supposed to be preaching and teaching just use the Lord's name, uh, in, in vain. Like one of the ways that you could be disrespectful. Now that may not be a big deal to some people. But like, like, is that not even a little problem to you that if the pastor up, uh, 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 preaching like on the platform uses the Lord's name in a disrespectful manner? 
in order just to build some rapport with the with the audience. Just keep that in mind. That happens two more times in this sermon. Everybody could use more peace. The thing is, our idea of peace, I really think, is warped. I think before I really started following God, like I was one of those Christians who was like more of a, I do it out of the duty and, and it looks good. Like I go to church, but I was living any kind of way behind the scenes. Ain't none of those here, huh? <laughs> Nobody amens that. But the okay, so that would be defined not as a Christian. DMs is dirty. No, 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 come on, let's be honest, because we're in here worshiping, but go through your text message thread. My man is so straight-faced over here. The reason I can talk about it is because I lived it. And what was happening is I was searching for peace in all the wrong places. And there are so many people in our generation that we are searching for peace in all the wrong places. We're searching for peace on vacation. Because you just think if you could go on a vacation, you could find some peace. Some of us are searching for peace in a relationship but you've had 10 and you're 20. Oh, I'm in somebody's house right now. Like a lot of us are searching for peace in money. But the thing about money is money only magnifies who you really are. So if you're a liar, when you get money, you're just a more efficient liar. If, if you're insecure, when you get money, you think everybody wants your money. We don't want your money, but it just magnifies everything you are. And today, I don't know what you've been escaping to to find peace, but I wanna let you know that peace is only truly found in the one who created us. And his name is the Prince of Peace. And so today, I want to talk to you because I have some pictures personally of what peace looks like. To me, peace looks like a sunset. Okay, so the, the beginning of this sermon, again, a methodology thing. I think a, a, a sermon should start out with, hey, let's read this, read the scripture. Uh, the reason that's my methodology is because we start off, I want you to know where we're anchored in, where we're coming from, what anything I'm going to say is pulled from. Because again, I don't need you to listen to me. I don't need you to know my opinion. I don't need you to know my life story. I don't need you to know, like, unless that like is connected to what we're talking about in some sort of way. Uh, I don't need to talk a whole bunch and convince you that I'm worth listening to. Like, I want to start with the scripture because the scripture is worth listening to. And then we're going to build out from there. Now, what he did to begin with, pointing to all the things that he he assumes and is probably correct that a lot of people in that audience are drawing their peace from, and then brings them to the fact that your real peace can only be found in the Prince of Peace, Jesus. That isn't a horrible beginning, right? I mean, he's grabbing their attention with things that he knows that they are struggling with, and then points them to Jesus. Now, that would have been a great time to jump into the scripture. Now, at this point, if you're still watching this video, some of you are going to be like, well, now you're just being nitpicky. Well, let's watch what he does next. Uh, and let me kind of build out this point here real quick about, and again, going back to what is a pastor supposed to be doing? Supposed to be, uh, he's supposed to be opening the scripture, supposed to be dividing the word correctly, supposed to be teaching and training those into godliness uh, through the scriptures. Like that's, that's the point of what he's supposed to be doing. So let's get into it and see what happens here. Set on a beach. I don't know if you have a picture of this right now, but put that sunset up for me real quick. This is what peace looks like to me. Like in my natural mind, I want a beach. I want some music playing. I want my wife there in nothing. And <laughs> if you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. Uh, like, I'm just telling you what peace is for me. Or another time for me that peace, it's like peace for me is Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. Like if I could ever get to... I just want to interject. This has nothing to do with nothing. But Mike Todd just basically did a Chick-fil-A meme. It's not funny when he does it either. 
but he could open a meme page, I guess, if he wanted to. Uh, based on that content alone. Chick-fil-A at 2 o'clock on Sunday with some waffle fries, Chick-fil-A sauce, and a large lemonade, and a small cookies and cream shake. Everybody say peace. peace. But what I found out, I know many of you have seen this picture before, but for all those who didn't, I want you to get this image etched in your mind. I think this is what peace looks like more accurately. Will you put that picture up? Now, many of you have seen this picture and you're like, Pastor Mike, why would you show me a picture of raging water and all of this stuff going around? Right in the middle of this picture, there is a little bird who is now. I want you to think about it, though. This bird flew there knowing all that was going on around it, but for some reason has found there to be safety in the midst of a storm. Real peace is when God allows you to go back to that job, into that house, into those situations that have raging water and storms all around it, and you chill because you know who created the water. Many of you, you never find peace because peace to you is there being nothing around you that's going wrong. And what I found... Okay, so uh, a couple things here. The first being that I think that pictures, analogies, things like that are helpful and can be extremely helpful. Again, we haven't read scripture yet. We're 10 minutes into this sermon and we haven't gotten to any scripture at all yet. Uh, we've seen some pictures. He's, I mean, he's done a pretty long introduction. Uh, but again, you have to understand that most people are going to remember certain things. Most people are very visual. Like that's just the, that's just the fact we are visual. We understand contacts through, uh, through visual means. Many of us do. Um, I think that's why, for example, memes work so well within our culture. Like people are visually, uh, stimulated. They understand that, haha, that, that picture connected with this thing. Ha, we remember it. And then we share it. Right. The same thing. The same words that are on whatever meme could be sent to somebody and not mean half as much because it doesn't connect visually with us. All of that to say, uh, I, <laughs> obviously I can't contact anybody that was at this conference, but I would say that by and large, many people, I, I'd say a good portion of the people would remember that picture that he showed because one is at the beginning, second it's visual, but probably couldn't tell you unless they rewatch the sermon, what, what scriptural text he's pulling all of this from, right? And, and, and this is why that's an issue. Because now we only remember a picture that has no connection to the scripture at all versus the scripture that we should be anchored in and always drawn back to. Um, again, not a, knock, not a knock on Mike Todd because he's not the only one that does this, but so far I understand that we are 10 minutes into a 50-minute uh, uh, preaching uh, which, okay, so we're one fourth in, okay, and we haven't, um, we haven't read any scripture yet. We've heard a lot, but we haven't read any scripture yet. So let's, let's keep going uh, with just the, that in mind that, okay, we've seen some visuals. We're probably way more likely to remember those than whatever we're going to talk about here in a minute, but we're 10 minutes in and where is this information coming from? Like, wh where's the truth of this? Found out is that God is the one that walks into situations that are jacked up and he provides a level of calm assurance and a level of knowing that no matter what's going on around me there is a God who is standing with me and will provide everybody shout at me peace. peace so tonight if you're taking notes the title of tonight's message is peace under pressure because a lot of y'all are experiencing pressure and you want tranquility and you want there to be uh, some type of calm but God says what if I don't slow the storm down will you still be able to have peace 
Yeah, because I know you want pastor to pray for you, and then once he prays for me, everything's going to go away. I'm so sorry that on Monday, that person that gets on your nerves at work, still going to be there. And I'm so sorry, but Houston traffic is not going to change because of your prayer life. But how do I navigate as a believer and keep my peace when my kids are on my last nerve? Some of y'all don't know where the last nerve is, but it's, it's right back here where I'm probably going to be bald one day, like right here. I found that peace is not found in something that is external. Peace is found in someone who is internal. So today I want to walk with you. Okay, so here I will mention methodology. You can say whatever you want about it. But what, we're, what we see often now in uh, modern, I would say modern day preaching, and, and this isn't, again, this isn't just Mike Todd. This is just a manifestation of the fact that is a very popular and widely used is that, um, I mean, young, young pastors are taught to make statements that are memorable to people. We now, then we see that emulated by the very well-known pastors of our day, um, that are what I call tweetable phrases. Okay. So just like the picture before, Okay, just like the picture before, we now have something that we're, we're presumably some people are writing down that, you know, all of these phrases that we're now going to remember later because they're easier to remember, but we still haven't got to scripture yet. Now, I understand that, that this, could, this could fall within the methodology part of it, but at the same time, we have to remember that when we're listening to a sermon, like you can say all the words you want, but until you anchor it to the word until you anchor it to scripture. Like, what is it attached to? What weight does it have? Like what your words against anyone else's words? Like what, how do I even know what you're saying lines up with the Bible? Unless you point me to scripture that shows me that that is true. Let's keep going. And by the end of this, I'm gonna teach preach tonight because I'm gonna go to the Bible to help you with peace. Cause some of y'all in here want to just clap and get hype, but I want you to change. Cause, Cause anytime you talk about peace, Stuff is going to happen to get on your nerves. Can I tell you my story today? Today, I woke up at 5 a.m. to come to Lakewood to preach at the Young Adult Conference. And we get to the airport, go from Tulsa to Dallas, and we stand at the gate at Dallas waiting for them to let us off the plane. And, and then they let us off the plane. We go to our next plane, and the woman shuts the door to our flight while looking at me. Now, now it's one thing if she didn't see me. I, I'm sorry, you didn't see me. We are eye to eye. And I'm saying, hey, hey. And she looks at me and says. Okay, so two notes so far in this. And then I'll try not to say a whole lot more. Let him finish. Two things. One, earlier I said that if you're looking to learn how to speak and keep an audience engaged, Mike Todd is a great example to look at. So, for example, his facial expressions, his pauses, his inflection, all of these things, as you can hear from the audience, are things that are connecting to them and connecting with them to keep them engaged and going along with him with this story. Obviously, if he told this story in a different way or in a monotone voice, it's not as interesting. They're not going to connect. So that's the good thing. Like He knows how to communicate. The flip side of that, though, is that, again, going back to scripture, like, I don't care about your story. 
Like you can tell your story later, I guess. Like, does it connect with the scripture that you are opening up? Or is it connecting with the scripture that you have opened up and explained about the context of what's going on in this situation so that I understand the words that uh, Jesus is saying, or I understand the narrative that's happening that is, you know, part of God's overarching plan? Or have you opened it up to maybe read one of the epistles um, or, or say the words of the apostles of in, a, in a current situation that, that also mirror the situations that we are in as well? Like, like, have you done any of that yet? And then connected it maybe with the story you're about to tell? Like, what power and weight does this have? Really? Like, what power and weight does this have if it's disconnected from Scripture? Like, what what power does it have? What benefit does this have for people? And this is where it comes down to a lot of times you'll hear me say, I know I've seen it on other pages online where there's like this really fine line between like TED Talks, inspirational talks and sermons. Like it's a razor thin line where we go, ha, like, like, yeah, it's a TED Talk with a little scripture in it. It's a TED Talk with a spiritualized story in it. Like the difference between a sermon and a TED Talk is the foundation on which it is built. Is it built securely on scripture where we open it and we dig everything out? Or is it built on story time with a little bit of sprinkling on top of it? Like, I want this to be good because I know people listen to him. I want this desperately to be good. So let's keep listening. Again, I've already listened to the whole thing. I don't want to run it for you, but let's listen and see if he does connect it with scripture. We sat there while our plane was there for another 30 minutes and they shut the door and would not let me and my two brothers get on the plane. And I said, Holy Spirit, what are you trying to teach me? He said, I can't allow you to talk on peace if you don't have a firsthand experience. I said, maybe I should talk. Okay, so here, here, here real quick. I know I'm interrupting a lot. Listen to what he's saying. This is just the very beginning of this dialogue. He's saying in a non-joking manner, like in a literal word, like audible word situation that he is having a two-way conversation with God. Just listen to the rest of this. I'm not going to interrupt it again, but I want you to, that red flag to be raised, that he is he is literally saying he's having a two-way conversation with the Lord. Conversations that in, when we look in scripture do not happen often. And when they do, they are enormous events with huge, long ramifications. Not just like a, hey, bud, how you doing? So just listen. Talk on joy or something. <laughs> and he said, what are you going to do, Michael? I said, I'm about to go slap that woman and lay hands. <laughs> oh, can we be real? Is there anybody that sometimes want to lay hands on somebody and then resurrect them? She's like, I did it yesterday. <laughs> but, but God said, I, I, want you to, I want you to find me in the middle of this situation. So as the woman was literally down there for 30 minutes, I started pacing. God said, sit down and start praying. I don't want to pray, God. He said, until you get back into me, all of this is going to make you act out of the character I've called you to. I said, okay, so I sat down. Wasn't no prayer words coming out. Can we be honest? When there's pressure and things around us, a lot of times we don't feel like doing what we know we're supposed to do. But there's something on waiting on the Lord. I sat there, I put on my worship music on my, on my, my iPhone, and what ended up happening is something came out of me 
that was not in me naturally when I looked at the situation. It was the God in me saying, I will give you peace in the middle of this frustration. So I'm standing there when the woman walks up the bridge. She comes out, and you know, I'm expecting, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so, the woman walked past me and didn't say a thing. And I said, Lord. And the Holy Spirit said, go up and talk to her. I went up and talked to her. And I said, ma'am, she said, hand me your ticket, sir. I walked away and I said, I'll be back when I'm better. Okay, so a couple things here. The first being, he, he again, I, I wanted to let that play out so you could hear a majority of it. He's claiming a two-way conversation with the Lord. In this particular, this, this instance that he just talked about, he says the Holy Spirit tells him, go up and talk to her. He goes up to talk to her, apparently in obedience to the Holy Spirit. And when he gets up there, she says something to him and he goes, I can't do this, right? So was the Holy Spirit, like, let's assume that he's telling us the truth, that the Holy Spirit told him, like an audible two-way conversation was happening and that he went up to talk to her and then he can't do it so he turns around so that is, is the holy spirit was the holy spirit incorrect in telling him to do that what was the holy spirit doing secondly i just want to draw to uh, our attention to a verse this is in first timothy chapter three this is qualifications for an elder uh one of the things that we're looking at here uh first timothy chapter three verse six says uh he should not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Here's the point that we're looking at. He should not be a young convert or he may be conceited. Uh, one of those things that happens, I think, lots of times, and I'm not, I'm not saying that Mike Todd falls into this category because I don't know Mike Todd. I don't know Mike Todd's heart. What I do see in a lot of like young megachurch pastors is that um, many of them seem to be immature, which again comes to this, this new believer situation. I don't know Mike's story. I could be totally wrong. So take this kind of apart from this sermon. But when we're looking at people preaching and the things that he's describing here, again, I, I don't know his heart. I'm just making a one-to-one correlation, a guess here, that the, there are certain things that we do when we've been matured in Christ, right? When we've walked with the Lord for a while that we wouldn't do and we wouldn't react uh, when we were new believers. So there's a difference. There's a maturity. There's a sanctification, which is one of the reasons here in qualifications for an elder that, you know, you can't be a new convert because you haven't walked with the Lord very long. You may be very well conceited and puffed up and think you're really important. Again, I'm not saying that that is where Mike Todd is. I'm just saying that the things that he, he talked about here, where he says, I got really aggravated. I just, I got all upset. I was walking back and forth. I wasn't being treated right. Like, I'm not saying his reaction was, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there, but he's using this as a demonstration of being taught uh, uh, peace in the time of pressure um, while he's a pastor, which then makes him fall under certain qualifications. So there's something we need to look at here. The two things, the biggest one here is that he's claiming to have a two-way conversation with uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, and the second is, like, we need to look when we're looking at people that are pastoring and preaching. Do they fall within the qualifications? This, obviously, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 is just one of them. But do they fall within the qualifications of, of what's going on? Let's keep going. Can I be real with you? Everything in me wanted to act out of my flesh. But God said, I have given you something on the inside of you that can make you act how you, against how you really want to act. And when you do that, you represent me. And so look, I'm just telling you my story and I'm going to give it to you in the way that it's going to help you. 
I walked back over, and I, Holy Spirit said, go sit down. Because I wasn't ready. And sometimes the smartest thing that you can do to keep peace is not engage in certain situations when you... I hate, I hate to keep interrupting him. Here's the thing. you When you're listening to a sermon as well, now this isn't just listening to story time because that's what we're doing right now. We're about to get to scripture and then we can look at that the way we need to look at that. But when you're listening to a pastor, whether it be him telling a story, whether him being in scripture, whether no, whatever's happening, you need to look for consistency. Consistency is going to tell you if what's being said is truthful, accurate, those sorts of things. So the first thing he said, the Holy Spirit said to go up and talk to her. And then all of a sudden now the Holy Spirit says to go sit down. Like, is the Holy Spirit confused? This is very inconsistent. Let's keep going. You're not ready. <laughs> I wasn't ready. The crazy thing is the whole time there was another woman watching this whole situation who had more authority than her. And she saw how we were mistreated and she saw what was happening and I didn't even have to say nothing. And she walked up to me with first class tickets on the next flight. Because if I hold my peace, the Lord will begin to fight your battle. And I came to tell somebody that in chapter and verse, please, that it says that. Time for you to find your peace. Everybody say, I found my peace. But it's not in how you want to react. It's how God has created us to find our peace in him. And, and this is where I, I want to pick up in John chapter 16, verse 33. Because if you think peace is... All right, so John chapter 6, verse 33. Here's the thing. I, haven't I don't normally do this during the sermon reviews, but I think this is incredibly important uh, for this one. And yes, it's going to make it a little bit longer, but let's just do this because I think it's incredibly important. So we're going to go to John chapter 6, verse 33. Now, when we get to verse 33, uh, a lot has happened before that. So let's go all the way down here. Let me see. Well, actually, let's have him read that real quick. We'll it's going to be the pictures that we talked about. It's not. Jesus even says here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have pressure. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus, is that your pep talk for us? Okay, now time out. I got it wrong. It's not. It's John chapter 16, verse 33 is where he's, he's talking from. Because I thought I was a little confused there why that was happening. Now, if you were to start at the beginning of chapter 16, there's a few things you're going to see. I would encourage you to read it in preparation for doing this video. I actually did read it all the way through. But basically, he's talking about things. Verse uh, 1 in chapter 16 says, I have said all these things uh, to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they... Uh, because they have not known the Father nor me, but I have said these things to you, that when that hour comes, you may be remember that you may remember that I told you to them. Then he goes into the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are going to go all the way. Uh, he'll he'll actually Mike Todd's going to go back here in a minute to some of these verses. He's going to skip around. But uh, if you were to read all the way through chapter 16, you're going to see that Jesus says a lot of these things about going away, the Holy Spirit coming. The disciples are incredibly confused about what he's saying to the point where Jesus just has to tell them straight out what's going to happen because of how confused they are. Uh, and then he goes into uh, the, the beginning verses of, of the actual section that Mike read. Uh, and here's the thing. Verse 29, we'll start there. It says, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you, now, 
We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming indeed and has come when you will be scattered each to of his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. Now here's the thing. He's about, he just told them. They're like, oh, we understand what you're saying. And he goes, actually, here in a minute, uh, y'all are going to scatter. You're going to leave me by myself. Those like, So you're saying you're with me. You're actually going to leave me because of everything that's about to happen. But I'm not alone. The Father's with me. Then he says, verse 33. So here's the thing. Context is important. Okay, Jesus, at the beginning of chapter 16, says people are going to kill you. And they're going to think they're doing the Lord's work when they kill you. Then he talks about leaving, sending the Holy Spirit. The disciples get very confused. Jesus understands that. He tells them to it plainly. And that's where we start in verse 29. And then right before verse 33, which says, I have said these things to you that you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So right before that, though, understand full context. So not just reading verse 33 like Mike did. Reading the full context, starting at verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Question mark. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you ha- may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's saying, look, there's some stuff that's about to happen that you're going to leave me, but I'm also telling you this so that you understand that within all this tribulation and everything that happens in the world, you can have peace because your peace isn't found in the world. It's found in me. He's telling this to people that he just said, you're going to scatter and leave me. Way before that, in verse 1 of 16, he says, people are going to kill you Like, understand the context. This isn't just a bad boss. This isn't just a bad day. This isn't just like little things that happen. It's like tribulation, persecution, death. And he wants them to understand that when that sort of pressure is put on you, when when those things happen, that you can take hope in Jesus. You can have peace in him because he's actually overcome all of that. And in the verses before that, he's talked about sending the Holy Spirit, the advocate, with to be with them. So anyway, you understand, you need to understand that this verse 33 has a lot more context than just saying, hey, you're going to have tribulation, but you can find peace in me. Like there's a lot that leads up to that point. I would encourage you to read the whole thing. Let's get back in to the sermon. Like, you're going to struggle. You're not going to get everything that you want. It's not always going to be easy. See, in church, we want everybody to think it's going to be easy. And when I come to Christ, everything's going to be fine. He tells us there's going to be trouble and strife and struggle and frustrating family members. But you're still supposed to maintain peace while you're going through it. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, like, we would rather you just work miracles and do stuff like that. Why, Why are you even telling us this? Like, I wish you wouldn't even tell us this because I don't even want to go through this. But look at the top of verse 33. He says, the reason I told you this is so that you may have, everybody say peace. And, and look where the piece is found. It says- so understand what he just did. Again, this dude's an amazing communicator. His exegetical skills are poor, though. He, he's pointing you back to the top of a verse 
that's taken out of the flow of thought within the chapter that we're looking at. So what he just said, the disciples said, like, what, what you got to tell us is we just want you to do miracles and stuff. Like, they didn't say that. Like, th that's not what they said, nor is it the context that Jesus is speaking to them in. Like, context is incredibly important because if it's not what you can see is that you can make this say whatever you want it to say which is incredibly problematic. Let's see if he recovers from that. Says, I want you to have peace in me. So if you're in this room, I don't care if you're in high school, I don't care if you're a CEO of a company. God's saying is everything that you are doing to produce counterfeit peace is outside of what I've called you to do because peace is found only in me. Now I want you to hear me say this because for many years, I thought peace was found in other things. I thought peace was found in other people liking me. I thought peace was found in my accolades in music. I thought peace was found in how many people follow me on Instagram. I'm telling you right now, I watched a documentary um, on Whitney Houston a few, a few weeks ago, and what happened is she sold over 300 million records, and one of the first people that came onto her documentary said Whitney Houston did not die of a drug overdose, she died of a broken heart. Because you can have everything, but have no peace. Because what I found is most people know how to have peace in here, but when the pressures of life hit them, we don't know how to handle What's happening? See, the pressures of life are kind of like this bar right here. Like, this is my life. And if I just had to deal with my life, like, like nothing else was happening, I could lift my life. <sighs> it's my life. This is easy. I could do this all day. I could talk to y'all because if it was just my issues and my problems, that would be easy. But what happens when we have things that are unexpected that come in life? I get a job where they don't pay me enough. Yep. And then I go to that church where people act holy, but they talk about you behind your back. Okay, so I'm going to let him finish. Um, quote Kanye. But the idea here is that you need to understand, again, within context of what Jesus is saying that this verse is in, this is not speaking about the surface level issues. And you can say, well, hey, these people, I mean, obviously this is connected with them because they cheered at it. Like, it, so it can't be that frivolous. Here, here's the thing. The Bible, by and large, does not address tribulation and strife on surface level issue things. And when it does, oftentimes uh, it's talking about how, you know, you know, God is far above these things. Like, so for example, when Jesus says, why do you worry? If God takes care of the sparrow, he's going to take care of you. Like, why are you concerned about your, what you what you wear? Like, he dresses the flowers. He'll dress you. So when we do come across these kind of surface level issues, what we see, at least from the Sermon on the Mount and other places in Scripture, like, yeah, things happen, but you're called to live in such a way that in those situations, God's glory is shown and your trust in him is found. Which is why when, when we look at the scripture that, that Mike Todd here has looked at, or other places, for example, with, with uh, Peter, Paul, James, like when tribulation is really found, like hardcore, you've had to move, you've lost jobs, you've lost family members, your life is in danger. When those things happen, you still have peace and joy. Why? Because you trust in Jesus. 
And the best way to demonstrate this, and this is why exegetical work is important, this is why real preaching is important, because when we understand that these letters were written in situations of great strife, far worse than, uh, you know, somebody talking behind your back at church, far worse than you getting a job that doesn't pay very well, like way worse than that. You understand that those surface level issues are literally nothing. They're nonsense to worry about compared to these enormous situations in which you can still, as a believer, find peace and joy in because of Christ. So, do you have peace and joy in situations such as what he's just mentioned? Of course you do. Because your peace and joy far exceed those things. that are Because the real things that we have to worry about are way worse. But we still have peace and joy in them. Again, which is why context and exegetical work are important. Let's keep going. Now, what happens when I'm sitting here trying to find and do everything God's called me to do, but now I have to lift a life that has come with sorrows and trials? We wake up day after day and we sit under the pressure of life. And let me help you. I don't care who you are. Life comes to put trial and tribulation on you. And so now I got to sit here. Oh, God. Didn't want to wake up this morning because I have to lift the pressures of life. But I can get it up in church. Hallelujah, you have won the big door. And what we do is we put on a show and we try to lift in front of people. But what ends up happening is many of us are buckling under the pressure because we did not go to the right source to help us lift. Oh, 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 you don't have to clap right here. I see it on your face. I see it when you're trying to, some of y'all changed outfits four times tonight because you were looking for something in somebody else that you could never find. You have to only find in Christ. And see, Pastor Mike, I don't know what to do with this pressure. Neither did the disciples. In John chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus is trying to prepare them. He says, hey, y'all, I'm about to go away to do something that none of y'all could do. And they're like, uh-uh, you're not going nowhere. I rebuke you. And, and Peter said that. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said, I'm about to do something none of y'all can do. And then he says, but I need y'all to come here. I'm going to wash your feet. And he bends down in humility and he washes their feet. And after he washes their feet, he says, one of y'all are going to betray me. And they was like, who's going to do that? That ain't going to be me. He's like, the one that's dipping bread in ranch right now. And Judas was like, oh, my God. Okay, so a couple things. Um, there have been multiple moments here where he could call them to repentance. He could call them to to faith in Jesus. Because here's the thing. All of the thing. <laughs> this is where I'm torn on this entire sermon slash talk. Is that some of the points he is making are good and they are valid, right? So the good and valid points are are this, and you've probably seen it. He's mentioned it like five or six times that people are placing their hope in, and then a laundry list of things that we all know that people place their hope and peace in. But none of those things um, are are being called out. Like the assumption here is that everyone in here is a Christian. Like that, that seems to be the assumption because we haven't mentioned repenting of sin at all. We haven't mentioned the fact that you need to come to Christ, that your sin is in direct rebellion against who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing. Like that's not been mentioned that you are in rebellion against the creator of the universe. And it is Jesus that is that offer that took your place. He, he, he took your sin on the cross, was dead and buried and raised again in defeat of sin and death. Like all of those things that you put your hope in 
you putting your hope in that is in itself sin and rebellion against God. Like we haven't heard any of that. Like the assumption is everyone in here is a Christian and they've already heard the gospel. And right now we just need a course correct. We just need a perception, uh, like a perception change. That's what we need. That's what we're getting. And he's had a number of times to, 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 to draw them to that, like outside of scripture, like, look, uh, you're not going to convince me that his exegetical work is good. Not based on this sermon at all. But he has had an opportunity to, to call people to Christ. Because here's the thing. Even if his exegetical work is bad, I will say this about Mike Tide, if you've made it this far into this sermon review. He's obviously passionate about telling people who, about Jesus. I mean, that I, I think that's undeniable. Like, he wouldn't be doing this, I don't think, if it wasn't for the fact that he does. He is passionate about people hearing about Jesus. I just think that he's in an Apollo situation where he's very passionate, but he needs to be like uh, shown a, a better way, like corrected a bit in love to, to, you know, to be taught better. I think the first step of that would be to get out of Joe Olstein's church, but that's again, neither here nor there. The idea here is that he, he's telling them about Jesus walking the disciples through that he's going to die on the cross and that he's going to, you know, raise from the dead and that he's going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit, because this is what this entire sermon has been building to. And he's walking them through that. And then he interjects a joke. Like, again, Mike Todd is a wonderful and amazing, a communicator that honestly, I, I will never reach the peak of where he's at right now. Like I'll never, I don't think I'll ever hit that. He's an amazing communicator that can be learned from, but this isn't a comedy sketch. This isn't a Netflix special. This isn't like, let's see if we can make him laugh. Like this is eternal stuff. That's what's concerning to me up to this point. So let's just take Mike Todd out of it. It's not Mike Todd. It's just some random Joe Blow up there talking about the same scripture and doing it the same way. He's not doing it very well. The focus is in the wrong place. And we need to be attentive to that when we hear pastors speak. Are they being true to the word of God? Have they even mentioned the word of God? The, the, the section or the verse that they did, does it, does it flow within the narrative and context of the scripture around it? Because if it doesn't, I don't care how encouraging or helpful or tweetable this person is, they're not dividing the word rightly. Let's keep going. And then he tells him, he says, I'm about to leave y'all. And this is where the disciples walk into the same type of pressure that we walk in every day. Because the one who has been walking with them for all of this time on earth and providing for them is saying, I'm leaving you. This is the same Jesus that when the disciples were hungry, took two fish and five hush puppies and made it into a dinner for 20,000 people. I mean, he's a walking miracle making buffet making God. This is the same Jesus when tax season came around and the disciples were worried. He was like, look at that fish right there, open his mouth. The tax money's in there. Wouldn't you like a friend like that? This is the same Jesus who no matter what place they went to, there was somebody that was like an Airbnb for them that they didn't have to pay for. Somebody was opening their barn or their house to them. He was their lifeline. And Jesus is telling them, I got to go. And they started to feel the pressure. They started to feel the thing that you feel when you're trying to figure out how you're going to get into school next semester. See, because it's not enough that we have to lift some big pressures in our life. But what you don't understand, it's not the big pressures that make us buckle. It's the little annoyances. It's, I broke my phone on the way to work. 
It's that stuff that if we're not centered in Jesus will tip us over the edge and allow us not to walk in the fullness of what God called us to do. It's that person that continues to talk about your last relationship like it's a current relationship and they always bring in stuff up and they add little weights to your life. What I'm supposed to do, keep serving God, keep being faithful, keep serving, but God, I do not want to lift this. I don't want to lift this anymore. And this is why people go to alcohol instead of lifting their life. This is why people go to drugs and opioids, because I'd rather medicate myself than have to live and lift this life. Okay, so just keep this in mind real quick. Um, this will be relevant as we get a little bit further into the sermon. But there's this underlying theology here that he's just mentioned that actually comes up a lot stronger later uh, in this sermon that God, like, where are you? I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but there's still this weight and this pressure. So there's there's this underlying idea, this underlying theology that if I'm still feeling this pressure or if things are still happening, they shouldn't either, A, they shouldn't be happening because I follow you, or B, you should take care of them because I am following you. Now just keep a hold of that because that comes up a lot heavier later in this sermon near the end. God, I can't, I can't see myself past this moment. See, the enemy knows that your most vulnerable position is when you're lifting life. And right now, if you wanted to attack me, I'm in my most vulnerable state. Because I'm trying to lift pressure that I'm shaking under. And most believers are sitting here trying to reach purpose with the pressures of life weighing them down. This is what you look like every day. And God said, why would you carry the weight of life on your own when I promised that I would be the one, I, I almost didn't make that. <laughs> when I promised that I would be the one to help you lift every heavy burden. Pastor Mike, why are, you, why are you teaching like this? Because I feel like there's somebody that came in here tonight who after the conference is gone and after- Okay, so keep in mind, let's just look at this one more time. What he just said doesn't line up at all with the scripture he read, nor does he provide a chapter or verse that describes what he just said, which is you won't have to carry your burdens anymore. Like I'll carry them for you. You won't have to do that. What it says, even just if you take just the verse that he said that he, he quoted earlier, which is 33 verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me, you have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. If you're just taking that scripture, and applying it to what he said, it doesn't make sense. He said, look, you're going to have tribulation in the world. You are. That's going to happen. It's unavoidable. It will occur. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Which means, look, I've, I've overcome all of those things you're going through. You're still going to go through those things. You're still going to go through those things. I've overcome them, but you're still going to experience them. But I told you all of these things at the beginning of verse 33, right? I say these things to you that in me, you may have peace because in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You have peace in me, but in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But don't worry because I've overcome the world. He's not saying you're not going to experience these things. You're not going to feel these things. You're not going to go through these things. He says you're going to find peace in him despite these things because he's overcome those things. Does that make sense? This is not saying, Jesus is not saying 
You're not going to feel the pressure of those things. You're not going to have to lift these things. You're not going to have to endure these things. It's that you're going to have to go through all of these things and you're going to feel the pressure and it's going to, it's going to, you're going to understand that it's tribulation, but you'll find peace in him in those tribulations. Why? Because you know, he's overcome those things. He's bigger than those things. After everybody stops jumping, that's what you're going to look like tomorrow morning. That the pressure of life is weighing on your chest. But I came to tell you that God wants to give you peace. Not absence of pressure, but he wants to give you peace. Everybody say under, under. pressure. Now that ain't sexy. But okay, so see, he did correct himself, which is, is good. It's necessary. Pastor Mike, I just want it to go away. It's not. Somebody asked me one time, they said, does a Christian life get easier? I said, no, you get stronger. Yeah. No, hear me. <laughs> so now the disciples... Or like, what are we going to do? Because you're saying you're leaving, but we can't live this life without you. I want you to write this point down. How do you have peace under pressure? You accept the advocate and use his help. See, what, what he tells them is that I know I've been with you, like Jesus in the flesh. He said, you want the person of Jesus, but what you really want is the promise that I'm making you. And the promise is that there is a greater one coming that can help you lift the pressures of life. Look at it in John chapter 16, verse 7. He said, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if... Okay, verse 7. So let's actually read the context like we did before. So verse 7. Uh, actually, we'll start at the, at the beginning. Uh, verse, it'll be verse, uh, verse 4 flows into what you probably see is division in your Bible. But, uh, so we'll start at verse 4. But I said these things to you that when the hour has come, you remember, what, uh, remember that I told you them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away from you. If I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he and when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He has he says a bunch of other things, but understand that we he's only going to read verse 7, but understand what comes after that. He says in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's where Mike Todd's going to stop. But then we read in verse 8, And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And it goes on to say what we've already said. So he says he's coming, and when he comes, these things will happen. Let's keep going. If I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And the advocate is the Holy Spirit. Now, I know this is not a sexy term, especially at a youth and young adult conference, but I don't need no more followers. I need you to be changed. And what you're trying to do is lift the pressures of life without the Holy Spirit. And let me help you right now, because a lot of you have heard about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, and it's a problem because it's a bad branding problem. Like the Holy Spirit, if I was doing his PR, I would have named him something else. Because anybody you like the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, like that's spooky. I would have just named him Greg. I would have just been like, I'm going to send you Greg, and he's going to come help you. Because a lot of people get turned off by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, it's better that I go. I know this is a, uh, something that some people will say is minor and not important, but joking that the God, that God the, the God of the universe, the one that created all things, uh, the one that inspired the word to be written, 
needs PR help from anyone is insulting. So you can get the Holy Spirit. Everybody just say it with me. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a him. It's God in another form. And what the Holy Spirit does, Jesus knew this. But okay. That should send up a red flag for you. Now, we're going to rewind this. Oh, man. I moved the screen. We're going to rewind this just a bit so that you can hear it again. So just listen closely. Lift the pressures of life without the Holy Spirit. And let me help you right now, because a lot of you have heard about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, and it's a problem because it's a bad branding problem. Like, the Holy Spirit, if I was doing his PR, I would have named him something else. Because anybody, you're like the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, like, that's spooky. I would have just named him Greg. I would have just been like, I'm going to send you Greg, and he's going to come help you. Because a lot of people get turned off by the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said, it's better that I go so you can get the Holy Spirit. Everybody just say it with me. The Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the part I want you to listen to. There's a whole... Uh, I'll try to find it, link in the description below. Really good podcast um, that covers the Trinity and it's a series that covers the Trinity. But um, this is important that you listen to because a lot of people, again, don't stare, don't haven't studied the Trinity, don't get taught the Trinity a lot. It's a huge subject, can't go into it right now. That's why I want to provide that link below for you. Um, but listen to what he says real quick. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a him. It yes. Yes. True. Now, next part. It's God in another form. And what the Holy Spirit... Okay, God in another form. Now, I don't want to jump to conclusions here and assume that Mike Todd believes and or teaches something that he may not believe and or teach. That being said, um, saying that the Holy Spirit is God in another form hints at something called modalism, which uh, teaches that uh, God is not three per three persons in one, but rather God exists in different modes. So the simplest way to say is God put on a Jesus hat or God put on the father hat or God puts on the Holy Spirit hat and changes his mode of being seen and understood rather than the Trinitarian view that says this is the same God and three persons uh, in unity together as one. Again, that's a huge topic. But that's something that I think not a lot of people would have caught about this form. Now, again, I want to give Mike the benefit of a doubt. He says later in the sermon that he's not, he's not been to seminary. He's not been theologically trained. It could be very well that he's just picked this up along the way and doesn't understand the weight of the word he just used, which is very probable. But that's something you need to listen for whenever you're hearing people talk about the Trinity. Now, we are 30 minutes into this sermon, and unfortunately, like the other sermons that I do, I'm not going to be able to finish this one out because I have, I honestly had to bang this, <laughs> this sermon review out um, in, on a day that I, I had a little bit of free time to do it because I wanted to do another one. You can, again, listen to the rest of this sermon. We're only halfway through it. You can listen to the rest of the sermon in the link below. But hopefully, just this 30-minute look uh, at this sermon. I mean, I know this this reviews an hour, but we've looked at 30 minutes of the sermon. Hopefully that's been helpful enough to to show you, um, you know, the red flags to look for, the good things, the bad things. Now, again, I'm stopping the sermon review now. I would encourage you to go listen to the rest of the sermon and kind of listen for yourself and pick things out and say, is the scripture being used in the rest of this sermon 
Um, is it is it contextual? Is it exegetically right? As well as the examples he uses, what does that point to? Does it have an underlying theology that God does, or like owes me something or that I don't have to lift this weight? Like all of those things are continued in the rest of this sermon. Hopefully up to this point has been helpful to you. Now, um, again, I just want to say as we close this sermon review out, this is not an attack on Mike Todd. This is not an attack on uh, the people that you know, that they really like him. This, this is the point and the, the purpose behind these sermon reviews is simple. I want to uh, hopefully teach and train people that don't understand uh, how sermons are built, don't understand the word exegetical, uh, that like these things are important. Just because a pastor pulls out a, a verse in scripture doesn't mean he's preaching that scripture correctly. Again, there's lots of things that Mike Todd has said in this sermon that I think are good and helpful as far as pointing people to, hey, you, your hope and peace are in these other things. But we've dropped the ball continuously, and if you watch the rest of the sermon, it's it's still dropped. Of calling people to repentance in Jesus. To calling people to, like, like your DMs say this, and you you claim this. Like, there's a disconnect between these things. And actually pulling out the context and the richness of what scripture is and said. Because yes, Jesus should be our peace. Jesus is should be our peace and our strong foundation and our anchor in the most difficult of times. And when those difficult times come and like we're shaken a bit, that should that should shake us spiritually as well to say, wow, I'm not as firmly planted in you as I believed I was. And thank you for this time, this trial, this, this pressure, so I can be pushed more into you and find my joy and my peace in you. Guys, I hope you found this helpful. I hope you find these other videos helpful. If you do, make sure you leave a comment, share it, those sorts of things. Uh, I love reading your DMs, your feedback, and I even like the criticism because you can grow from that as well. Thank you guys for watching, subscribing, following, I'll talk to you later.